This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 71, the 17th part of the 100-mile history. This exciting episode will cover the very first Western States 100 race held in 1977. I will tell for the first time some fascinating details of that inaugural race and its participants. Included will be race highlights from an interview with the first winner of Western States, Andy Gonzalez. Yes, it's time for us to get to know Andy and his historic accomplishment that has largely been overlooked. In 1977, Wendell Roby, the president of the Western States Trail Foundation and the director of the Western States Trail Ride, or Tevis Cup, decided that it was time to add a runner division to his famous ride. He had previously helped seven soldiers successfully complete the course on foot, the first to do so, who proved it was possible. He also had been pleased that Gordy Ainsley had been the first to finish the trail in under 24 hours in 1974. See episode 66. Roby believed it was time to organize a foot race on his trail for the first time. This first Western States 100 in 1977 was hastily organized by riders, not runners. There was no consultation with the existing well-established ultra-running sport at the time. Practices were put into place that mostly mirrored the endurance horse sport, such as mandatory medical checks. The event would be held with nearly 200 riders and horses also competing on the course at the same time as the runners. The day would turn out to be perhaps the hottest ever for the historic race. The risks were extremely high for this small rookie running race staff and some rather naive runners. Who were the runners who turned out for this historic first race? Did they have the expertise to finish or just to survive? On Roby's race staff was Gordy Ainsley of nearby Meadow Vista, California. He was perhaps the most experienced runner in the bunch, with some cross-country running experience. He also had run in some ride-and-tie events, and of course had run the trail solo three years earlier. Ainsley had hoped to get the race director job from Roby, and talked about putting in a qualifier requirement that the runners had to have completed a marathon in at most 3 hours 15 minutes. He said, We don't want anyone who isn't a good runner. Thankfully, that requirement was not put in place. Ainsley did not have the organizational skills to put together a race and was not the race founder. Roby was the man in charge for 1977 and gave the race director job to Kurt Sproul. Kurt Sproul, aged 29, of Weinmer, California, was designated by Roby as the 1977 Western States 100 manager, assisted by his wife, Mo Sproul. Kurt Sproul was an experienced endurance writer and a young attorney. The Sprouls met and married when both attending UC Berkeley. They both would become very important contributors towards the founding and growth of Western States 100. 
The first year, in 1977, the race was called the Western States National Endurance Run. Roby ordered a mammoth three-foot silver cup trophy on a black marble base to be a perpetual trophy for the winning runner named the Wendell Roby Cup. Those who finished in 24 hours or less would receive a belt buckle with an etching of the figure of Hermes, messenger of the gods. Roby said he hoped that the race that year would give Auburn, quote, a name among the physical endurance enthusiasts. He further observed, from the quality and number of the interested runners signed up, it looks like the run will become a yearly event. The entry fee was $30. Four horse inspection stations would be utilized as runner checkpoints and water stations. They were very far apart for runners. At Robinson Flat, mile 33, Devil's Thumb, mile 50, Michigan Bluff, mile 65, and White Oak Flat mile 80. No traditional aid stations were provided for runners ahead of time. I'm, I'm sorry, what? The rookie race staff had no idea about the danger they were putting the runners in. Runners would have to drink from streams and provide their own food delivered to checkpoints in drop bags. Many did not. The emphasis that year was still mainly on the horses and riders. The runners participating were mostly an afterthought and were on their own. Dr. Robert H. Lind, a physician at the Roseville Community Hospital, would check the health of the runners and riders as they came through the four checkpoints. He checked blood pressure, pulse, and weight. But he was at first very inexperienced at checking ultra-distance runners with a lack of understanding of what to expect. They did not yet understand the dangers of electrolyte imbalance. Lind said, I don't understand how they can do this physically. This is the hardest race on the face of the earth. It embodies nearly every hazard known in long distance running, including heat, fatigue, altitude, and fluid loss. Word did not get out well about the 1977 race. Locally in Auburn, a news article was published that announced plans only two weeks prior on July 18, 1977. Spectators of the Tevis Cup this year may be in for a surprise. Some of the contestants just might gallop up out of the canyon without a horse. This year, the Western States Trail Foundation will sponsor a 100 miles in a day run, in addition to the horseback ride. Race founder Roby said, We'll do the best we can to provide administration for these runners and see if we can make this impossible run a yearly event. Word spread, and a week later, another article appeared in the Auburn Journal. It included, Why would anyone want to run 100 miles in 24 hours over a course so rough it taxes the strength and endurance of a superbly trained horse? That's crazy. What kind of runners were attracted to run this difficult race? Andy Gonzalez, age 22, of Colfax, California, would be one of the starters of the first Western States 100. Gonzalez spent his childhood years in the San Francisco area. He never did any kind of running in his youth, but remembered an experience in kindergarten. I remember in kindergarten, we used to have these little 25-yard races in the school. I'd get in on organizing those. It was from the bench to the other bench on the other side of the playground. At Colfax High School, Gonzalez excelled on the football team. He ran a little on the track team, but did not really enjoy it. 
After graduation in 1974, he entered the Navy and was soon deployed to Italy, where he discovered his love for running. He explained, I was laying in my rack, which is a bed, on board ship in Italy. A guy by the name of Rob Robertson from New York was going to run on the beach, about a 10-mile run. I wanted to know if I wanted to go, and I became addicted to it. It was my favorite pastime, and during my time in Italy, I got to meet John Walker. He was a world record holder in the mile at one time from New Zealand. I met him and Rod Dixon, and they became my heroes, and I was going to go to the Olympics in my mind. Two years later, Gonzalez ran for the Sierra College Wolverine cross-country team as one of their top runners. The workouts were grueling, he said. I can remember crawling to the transport bus after we were done with our workouts. He put me in through such workouts, it was unbelievable. He even threw a clipboard at me because he thought I was dogging at one time when I was really super tired. <laughs> See, that's where I probably got my base. All I can remember is a lot of pain and a lot of enjoyment. Gonzalez ran his best mile time of 4 hours 24 minutes at an all-comers meet for the military branches. His fame had spread and his competition could not keep up with him. He won, but did not really enjoy running on the track. He wanted to be on the trails. He had a favorite running trail in his hometown of Colfax, California called Stevens Trail. It was 3.8 rugged miles down to the North Fork of the American River and 3.8 miles back climbing at least 1,200 feet. The trail had very little shade and was terrifying for hikers because it ran close to cliffs. He loved that trail and called running his girlfriend. Before hearing about the 1977 race, Gonzalez had set a goal to run the Western States Trail solo with the horses in 1978, just like Ainsley had done in 1974. He had been training to build up his ultra-distance strength by doing some long 50-mile runs. A week before the 1977 Western States 100, Gonzalez still had not heard that a running race would be held and was not signed up. Ken Kalman Shirk, age 33, originally a farm boy from Salinas, California, had signed up for the run. Oh, the farmer and the cowman should be friends. One man likes to push a plow, the other likes to chase a cow, but that's no reason why they can't be friends. He had become an award-winning high school athlete, a volunteer fireman, and loved his home in the mountain wilderness surrounding beautiful Lake Tahoe. In the late 1960s, he took up skiing and running and said, I got to ski all winter long and experience the mountain life. Running the diverse terrain made me stronger, faster, and a better runner. Shirk started ultra running in 1976 when he ran the 72 miles around Lake Tahoe. He later entered another race, signed up as Cowman, and competed wearing horns. The name stuck. He tried a solo run on the Western States Trail during the 1976 Tevis Cup, and completed the course in 24 hours 20 minutes. He felt confident that he could win the inaugural 1977 race. Living at Tahoe, I'm used to high altitude and run in rough terrain almost every day. I've trained in this area for a long time. Depending on the weather and what happens on the trail, 
I'm hoping to run it in about 22 hours. Bob Woodliff, age 30, of Woodland, California, with a bachelor's degree in physical education, was among the entrants. He had experience running and riding in ride and tie events. He was interested to use the race as an experiment on his body and said, I am a long distance runner and I have run some marathon events, but I'm nowhere near in shape to run 100 miles. I don't have to run the full 100 miles. If it becomes work and drudgery rather than fun, I'll stop. I'm going to relax and enjoy it. Three veteran ultra running buddies were among the entrants who were unknown to the rookie race staff and other entrants who were not yet informed about ultra running. These three would make a significant impact on the early Western States 100 history. Peter Matai, aged 53, of Alamo, California, was a very successful real estate developer who received his degree in architecture from UC Berkeley. He had been a naval aviator during World War II. During the early 1970s, he became very active in distance running in Northern California. Matai was co-founder of the Northern California Seniors Track Club and the long-distance running chairman of the Pacific Association Amateur Athletic Union. He started competing in ultras in 1969 and in 1971 finished 8th in the 50-mile national championship with an impressive time of 6 hours 34 minutes. Dr. Ralph Paffenbarger, age 54 of Berkeley, California, was a nationally renowned epidemiologist working at Stanford University, and he made a huge impact on sports science. He had served in the military during World War II and trained for his first marathon in combat boots. Paffenbarger took up ultra running in 1970 and finished sixth in the 1971 50-mile national championship held in Rockland, California, with a speedy time of 6 hours, 13 minutes. Paul Reese, age 60, of Sacramento, California, was a retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel who served in World War II and in Korea. He earned a master's degree in public education and was the director of secondary curriculum and instruction for the large school district in Sacramento. He took up competitive running in 1964 at the age of 27. In 1969, he received national recognition of being one of the best distance runners, 50 to 59 years old, and was a sub-three-hour marathoner. With his two other running friends, he also ran in the 1971 50-mile national championship. He finished 10th with a time of 6 hours, 41 minutes. During the early 1970s, Matai, Paffenberger, and Reese had finished a road loop 100-miler the Camellia 100 that was held each year in the Sacramento area. Matai finished the 1971 version with a time of 20 hours, 56 minutes. In 1972, Paffenberger and Reese also ran the Camellia 100. Paffenberger finished in 16 hours, 42 minutes and Reese in 17 hours, 15 minutes. Both very elite times. Two weeks before the 1977 Western States 100, Matai called up running buddy Reese and tried to persuade him to enter the race and run as a trio with Paffenberger. The phone call sounded something like this. Paul, I know you and Paff have run Pikes Peak and the 72 miles around Lake Tahoe and a hundred miler. I've got one now that will make that look like sissy stuff and I want you to run it with Paff and me. 
Matai described the rugged Western States Trail to Reese. Reese recalled, What? Despite Peter's coaxing, cajoling, and cussing, and despite realizing I'd not satisfied my curiosity over how I'd fare on this safari, I refused to enter, explaining to Peter that I was committed to do two upcoming marathons. Finally, we compromised by my agreeing to run only the first 33 miles to Robinson Flat with them as a workout. Two days before the first Western States 100, Andy Gonzalez was going for a run on Stevens Trail when a mailman warned him about a fire along the trail. Gonzalez instead decided to run east and came upon his friend Gordy Ainsley, who was changing a flat tire on his car. Gonzalez stopped to talk with Ainsley, who asked, How would you like to run 100 miles tomorrow? Seeing his surprise, Ainsley backed that down and suggested that Gonzalez try to only run the first 33 miles. Ainsley didn't really think that Gonzalez had the ultra-running training to go the distance. Indeed, at that point, Gonzalez had not even run a marathon. He was just a mountain runner who, as he put it, quote, chased women and drank beer. On the next day, Gonzalez hitched a ride with Ainsley to head for Squaw Valley. I had five bucks on me. I had a bag of green apples and a tube of biscuits and packed up my sleeping bag, forgot my shoes. I had to borrow a pair to run the race that are on display in Auburn. On the way, Ainsley told him that Cowman Shirk was going to win the race. When Gonzalez saw the other runners determined to run the 100 miles, he became somewhat intimidated. A race briefing was held that afternoon, conducted by Roby, assisted by Sproul and Ainsley. Major David Niederhaus, a Marine from Indiana, a Vietnam veteran, was an entrant who Roby thought would win. He was at the briefing. Sproul, the race manager, wasn't impressed with the serviceman and recalled, The Major was wearing the standard mirrored sunglasses made famous in the movie Cool Hand Luke. What we've got here is failure to communicate. And as the briefing began, three fighter jets roared through the Olympic Valley, heading toward Reno at low altitude. The Major looked up, gave his best salute, turned to our little group, and said, Those are my men. Some of the younger runners, seeing the older runners, Matai, Paffenberger, and Reese, scoffed at their chances to finish. Those guys are old. They didn't know that these three were by far the most experienced and accomplished ultra runners in the field, all with sub-21 hour 100 milers already on their running resumes. Ainsley went over the course and its profile. It was remarked, We try to mark the trail, but the bears keep destroying the markings. I'm, I'm sorry, what? The runners spent the night before the race sleeping under the stars in their sleeping bags. Gonzalez was next to Mike Catlin. We laid there the night before, drinking beer. It was in the pit dark. Stars were out in full bloom, and we're wondering what did we get ourselves into. 1977 was the only year that the run was held concurrently with the ride. <laughs> it turned out to be the hottest day of the year, reaching about 115 degrees. After a morning weigh-in completed by Dr. Lind, 16 runners started at 4 a.m., 
with an hour head start on 183 riders who started at 5 a.m. in waves. The runners were mostly dressed in nylon shorts, t-shirts, windbreakers, and running shoes. Most of them started out carrying flashlights. Gonzalez did not carry a flashlight and only wore a singlet, a plaid button-down shirt, and Speedo swimming shorts. He never wore socks when he ran and did not during the 1977 race. Reese commented, I started from Squaw Valley and the unfolding of many lessons. First was the arduous effort required to keep moving. The heat became intense and stifled breathing. The water was scarce. At one stretch in 100 plus degrees heat, I was four hours without water. Gonzalez did not carry anything with him. No food or water. He held back his pace early on, concerned about how the heat would affect him. Since the checkpoints were far apart, he had to drink and water wherever he could find it. He drank out of a small mountain mud spring with a horse. Later, that same horse dropped a dump in front of him and barely missed his face. The narrow sections of the course became crowded with horses and runners. If a runner or rider wanted to pass, they would yell, Trail! Nearly half of the field dropped out by Robinson Flat at mile 33. Major Niederhaus was among the early drops, only making it to miles 27. Many had gone out too fast. When Gonzalez arrived at Robinson Flat, he was feeling good and decided not to stop there as Ainsley had suggested and go on to run the entire race. He then started to catch up and pass runners. At mile 48, Gonzalez caught up with cowman Shirk, who was sitting down by the trail and not looking very good, along with Dick Mendenhall of Oklahoma City. They both looked at him and said, Whoever you are, keep going. You have a chance to win. Shirk and Mendenhall dropped out at last chance. Both cowman and Mendenhall were suffering from dehydration. Cowman had lost an astonishing 20 pounds during the run, going from 204 pounds to 184. Mendenhall had lost 15 pounds. Gonzalez moved into first place with a fire now in his belly. During that year, there were not too many spectators along the course, but Gonzalez would always wave, stop, and shake their hand. Word got out that he was coming and more came out to greet him. Three more runners were out of the race at Michigan Bluff at 62 miles because of the terrific heat. You're a loser. That left just three runners, Gonzalez and the two veterans, Matai and Paffenbarger. At about mile 64, Gonzalez had to step over horses that were exhausted laying in the trail. He was also really struggling at that point. As he was stumbling along without water, he came upon an old rancher sitting by his camper with his dog. The old man thought that Gonzalez was crazy and offered him two cold beers, which he gladly drank. Feeling greatly revived, Gonzalez continued on his run toward Forest Hill. At Forest Hill, in dire straits without water again, he was experiencing hallucinations. He went up to a random house, grabbed a hose, and with his chapped lips drank some warm water. Shannon Yule Gardner was originally from Altadena, California. As a youth, Gardner attended school at the Pacific Coast Equestrian Research Farm in Badger, California, and developed her love for horses. 
1977, she rode in the Tevis Cup and recalled, As I left Michigan Bluff, I matched pace with Andy Gonzalez, who was in the lead, and I was able to watch his beautiful rhythm relaxed running style. She rode the final 35 miles or so guiding Gonzalez. He carried no flashlight, but was helped by Gardner's light shining from up on her horse. But at some point, they became separated in the dark, and Gonzalez became lost for a couple hours in American River Canyon. Trail markings were few, yellow ribbons wrapped around trees, but they were easy to miss in the dark. He screamed for help. Help me! And finally found his way back to the familiar trail in the dark and made his way the rest of the way to the fairgrounds finish in Auburn with plenty of energy. He could hear an announcement over the loudspeaker informing everyone that the first runner was arriving. Many of the spectators still didn't even know that there were runners on the course. Gonzalez became the first official Western States 100 finisher in history and established the course record in 22 hours, 57 minutes. Roby greeted him holding a cigar. A full stadium of riders and spectators cheered his finish. Ainsley was surprised to see him win. For Gonzalez, it was a dream come true. But I wanted to be a champion. It had to do with running. I mean, I dreamed of it day and night for years. Because of the official 24-hour cutoff that year, Gonzalez was the only official finisher among the runners. The two veteran ultra runners, who the younger runners doubted, Matai and Paffenbarger, ran the entire way together. They had missed the previous checkpoint cutoff, but were given permission to continue together unofficially, on their own, with no support from the race staff. They both reached the finish in 28 hours 36 minutes. It was said that these two finished due to their power of mental attitude, which was the driving force that carried them through all the obstacles. The solid, slower times accomplished by Matai and Paffenbarger helped race organizers consider extending the finish cutoff time the next year to 30 hours. Later during that day, Gonzalez ran a 20-mile shakedown run before the awards banquet, where he received a lot of attention and the first Western States endurance run buckle. News of Gonzalez's historic finish was only a footnote in a few articles about the Tevis Cup in California papers. This running race that year in the Sierra went unnoticed by the rest of the country and the rest of the ultra-running sport. What happened to the first three finishers of Western States 100? Andy Gonzalez went on to win Western States 100 again in 1978, lowering the course record to 18 hours 50 minutes. In 1979, he ran again, but became sick and did not finish. He backed off from racing and instead ran privately in the mountains. In 1985, he again finished Western States 100, but felt that he was past his prime at age 30. Sadly, during his 40s, he had difficulties with his legs and later discovered that he had Parkinson's disease. He retired from his construction career in his 50s, and in 2021, he is living in Grass Valley, California. He said recently, There isn't a day that goes by that, in some respect, I don't think about that experience. It'll stay with me the rest of my life. It's in my dreams. I love these mountains, and the trail runs through it. 
Peter Matai went on to finish Western State's three additional years. In 1978, he became the first person to both run and ride the Western State's events in the same calendar year. He passed away in 1998 at the age of 73. Ralph Paffenbarger went on to finish four more Western States 100s and finished the Comrades Marathon, 54 miles, in 1989 at the age of 66. In 1966, he received the first International Olympic Committee Prize for Sports Science. He ran the Boston Marathon 22 times during his life and finished a total of 150 marathons and ultras. In 2007, he died from heart failure at the age of 84. Paul Reese, their running buddy, who paced them for 32 miles, would later finish Western States in 1981 at the age of 64. He moved to Auburn, California and also finished the Comrades Marathon in South Africa in 1989 at the age of 72. He went on to run across all 50 states and at the age of 73 ran across America in 124 days. He set many American age group records from 3 miles to 100 miles. He became known in the Northern California running community as Father Time because he seemed to run forever. He died in 2004 at the age of 87. Legends never die. Stay tuned for more 100 Mile History. With that, this is Davy Crockett and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.